Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands podcast. On today's show, I have Jordan Meinster from Pickup USA Fitness. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Frank? Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure having you. Well, looks like you and I have got a lot in common here. There's basketball in your background and in your company. So let's get started. What exactly is Pickup USA Fitness? So Pickup USA Fitness is a chain of fitness clubs that's focused on basketball. So essentially, we serve youth and adults. So for adults, we have full weight rooms as well as pickup basketball with referees. So it's like your traditional pickup basketball experience, but way more organized. Uh, there's referees, there's uh, scoreboards, fouls called, free throws, big comebacks, buzzer beaters. So that's the adult side of the business. And then for youth, uh, we offer youth development leagues. So essentially any youth clientele that sign up, they get two or three practices per week, skills clinics, practices, uh, and then a youth game on the weekends. Uh, we run four seasons per year. Uh, so that's essentially Pickup USA, basketball-focused fitness clubs for youth and adult basketball enthusiasts. Cool. Well, you know what? You're kind of tricking people into fitness because we don't want to be bored right when we go to the gym. So by having me play basketball, I don't realize that I'm really working out and getting an, an amazing workout through basketball, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we see all types. You know, we got people who just want to stay in shape and basketball is a great avenue for that. And then, you know, we've got people, especially on the youth side that are really trying to develop their skills. I mean, we've, we have NBA players sometimes in our gyms, we have D one athletes, we have, you know, kids who are trying to make the varsity team. So we really see the full spectrum of it from the kid who's never picked up a basketball to, you know, kids who are really going to play D one ball and, you know, adults who are just kind of weekend warriors all the way up to, you know, professional players. So, we serve the full gamut for sure. Nice. How did you get started with this concept? Tell me how the whole dream started. So I've all, I never really played organized sports. Um, so I was always just playing pickup sports in nature. So I'd go to a park with a friend, play, you know, soccer or football, and obviously a lot of basketball. Uh, so that was kind of my whole life story, even through college. And I started to have an idea of if I ever owned a gym on the basketball court, I'd like to have referees who are officiating the games. And then I'd like to have someone who's organizing the games. So that way you don't just walk in and kind of have to get picked up on a team and deal with all of that. So I thought, you know, it'd be awesome if there was some structure to it. And that was just kind of the spark of an idea. So as I got into my professional career, I kept thinking about that and kept playing basketball at 24 hour fitnesses, parks. And eventually I'm like, you know what, this has some merit. So you know, kind of typical entrepreneur, fire, fire, aim. I quit my job and went out and started the gym. Oh, really? Uh, you quit the job and just started the gym. So you, did you open up, did you, did you open a facility? Did you rent space? How did the whole, tell me how the whole thing started with the uh, conceptually, like where, where the venue was and how you did that. 
So I, I knew that it was going to be, you know, pick up basketball with referees. That was the start of it just for adults. I had no, you know, concept of the youth market or anything. So that's what I was going to go do. And I guess, you know, in retrospect, I had no plan, but I, I, I quit my job in, uh, in October, 2011, had very little money. Uh, my wife and I, you know, max out credit cards and you know drained 401ks i found a couple of financial partners to put some money in and then spent about six months looking for facilities which was you know one of the more discouraging parts of this thing yeah i had no track record no background really no money so landlords were naturally very skeptical about right you know what we were doing but ultimately wound up with a, a facility in irwindale california the landlord's previous tenants had left in the middle of the night and left a bunch of just garbage in the place like the facility was you know structurally sound mm -hmm. but just trashed so we came to an agreement where he's like look we'll give you guys a shot but you got to take this as is so it's our responsibility to clear everything out of there get it painted and um, outfit it so you know 15,000 square foot warehouse we laid down a single basketball court the rest was just concrete and got to work Jordan, there's, I could come up with a million reasons why you should have failed. Why don't you tell the audience why you succeeded? I mean, I think, you know, one of the, you read this a lot in books and, you know, the determinant for entrepreneurs that make it versus ones that fail is yes. just grit and sticking with it. Uh -huh. So, I mean, after our, we had a big grand opening plan and, you know, we were going to be signing up hundreds of members. There was so much demand for this. And after our grand opening weekend, we had two members uh, that had signed up. One of them was my friend's dad, who I think felt bad for me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, all the, all the dust settled after our big grand opening and, you know, we were left, it was me and my wife in an empty warehouse with no customers, but, you know, we just stuck with it and we always focused on guest experience. So we get people in there to play basketball, even if it was just on a free trial and, you know, we treat it like it was, game seven of the nba finals i mean nice. just high quality referees and you know we give them gatorade and invite them back and you know just giving even though it was you know a hot warehouse with no air conditioning and no amenities <laughs> it was a better service so eventually people started to take notice right and realize that this is you know a better basketball experience so people started to show up and that side of the business got big uh, then we got into the youth side of it, because obviously, a, as you know, there's a huge, huge market for, for youth basketball. So we got into that and, we, you know, after four or five years, we had a prototype, a business model that was solid, no debt on the books, cranking out some cash. And, you know, that was the foundation of the franchise program. Wow, that is amazing. So when you're starting out and you're just doing adult basketball, the genesis of my business was adult men's softball is what preceded I-9 Sports and preceded the, the kids part of the business. The hardest part of that business, of course, is is the brand awareness, the marketing. And you started with two members. I'm not surprised. I, I totally get it. How did you how did you start getting some volume of people through that door? What um, what type of marketing did you do to finding the adults to, to want to come to the gym? Yeah, I mean, just, just hustling. You know, there was our gyms nowadays, they get, 300 give or take leads each month you know high quality leads that their salespeople can convert to members it's much more of a machine back then i was getting maybe 15 leads a month right uh, just very organic but i mean really just hustling i mean going to parks and handing out flyers and 
you know, kind of begging people to come in and play some basketball. And, you know, with basketball, unfortunately, there, there has to be a critical mass of people in there for them to have fun. Obviously, you need 10 people on the court to play, but you need more than that because if it's just the same 10 guys, they're going to get wore out after three or four games. There's not too much energy in the building. Sure. So you really need a solid, you know, 20, 25 people each time we're running games for it to be that good experience. So, I mean, we just did everything we could. I mean, hitting the phones and knocking on doors and handing out flyers. And eventually it just, for whatever reason, started to hit. Guerrilla marketing at its best. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but now that you franchise, and we're going to get into franchising a little bit, I, I just want to make, uh, make it clear that that's while guerrilla marketing is important with getting 300 leads a month now on average, how has marketing, uh, how, how is the marketing different today? for your franchisees than it was for you starting out? Yeah. I mean, obviously we've developed a formula mm-hmm. um, and it is very much set it and forget it. So one thing we tell the franchise owners is, you know, there's a lot to be concerned about as you open a business, sure. you want to be nervous. It's, 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 you know, a risk obviously, but one thing we don't think franchise owners should be concerned about is the marketing, you know, with our formula, it's very much set it and forget it. So you know, we've got outside vendors that manage social media ads on the corporate side. We produce videos and pictures and content that they can post on their feeds. So, you know, just the formula and then the franchisees spending um, the, the proper money. So when I was doing it, there was no formula, right? It was mm-hmm. just kind of me guessing and posting on Facebook. And, you know, at the time, Instagram was pretty young and having no marketing budget to do it. Now, franchise owners have that baked in. So when we model out, you know, how they're going to grow their club, there's a certain amount obviously allocated towards marketing. So they've got a budget and then they've got very clear channels to allocate it towards. And it's, it's, it's pretty automatic in every market that we're in small and large. Very cool. So you founded the company in 2011, you franchised in 2017. And now since then, now you've got, I understand 23 franchises open 30 in development that are, I guess the facilities are, they're, they're working on opening. I, I'm so curious that what led you to franchising then the business? Yeah, I mean, we always wanted to be a gym chain. So, you know, I, I never set out to just create one of these. We thought that this was, you know, a concept that could be successful across the country and mm-hmm. potentially beyond. And, you know, I've lived across the country. So, you know, started in Baltimore, lived in Colorado for a good amount of time, lived in San Diego, now LA. And, you know, I've played basketball in, you know, community centers and gyms across the country. So I see that, you know, this is, this is a large, a large market out there. So, you know, when we started this, we really looked at our Irwindale location as a prototype, like, can this model work? And we're going to throw everything at it and we're going to learn a ton and make a bunch of mistakes uh, so that we can franchise this. So really, you know, franchising was the plan essentially from the jump. And I've got some some mentors in the industry uh, that, you know, have franchised other concepts. So, you know, I'm familiar with it through those arenas and, you know, obviously just a good way to scale a business through, you know, equally motivated franchise partners that are putting up their capital and time with our brand and resources. And, you know, it's been successful thus far. Absolutely. And you get to grow at a faster pace and when it's mission led and certainly sounds like your business is very mission led, it is very conducive then to franchising for sure. I'm curious, you know, 
look, the basketball market is tremendous, right? There's 30 million-ish basketball players that play recreation, uh, recreational basketball, pickup games, league play, everything. I know that number is, um, you know, it, it runs the gamut on how people play. How do you find yourself to be able to position yourself competing against the quote-unquote basketball league that's, that's out there? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, basketball leagues certainly serve their purpose. And there's some people that do prefer a league um, because they want that set time each week. Um, and they want to go in with their same team for, you know, an eight week period um, and play and go through playoffs and, you know, things of that nature. So for us on the adult side, it's really not necessarily trying to replace a league. We look at it as either an alternative or a supplement. So it's really just the pickup nature of it. And the, the thing that people like about pickup basketball is you can go in and play whenever you want. So, you know, instead of being, okay, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. a league game, you know, our gym's seven days a week. So you can come in and play three, four days a week. You can play one day a week. You can play Wednesday nights. You can play Saturday mornings. So we try and offer that league feel to it where there's refs and scoreboards and it's organized and we keep track of wins, but also having that flexibility uh, to come in whenever you want and play for one game or play for you know three hours at a night. Jordan, that's the secret sauce of your model, you know, because as adults, we don't necessarily want to have to be somewhere at a certain day or time, or we have work and we can't get out and get to our league play. But the secret of your model is as an adult, I get to play when I want, how, how often I wish. But here's the huge advantage that you have that almost nobody else has is that people that are running basketball leagues are renting the school's and parks. And when you rent them, you have to have what? A fixed day of the week and time, if you can even get the court space. Whereas because you own the facility, you get to have seven days a week of play anytime you want. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. It's certainly an advantage that we have. Now there's a barrier to entry with that. Obviously you have to have capital yes. uh, to get involved uh, with, with a facility. And, you know, there's work involved with, you know, getting a lease secured and building it out. But once you secure that, and, you know, we put a ton of effort and, and resources towards helping franchisees secure that. You've built a moat around it in terms of barriers to entry. And that's why, you know, we've seen good success. So you put in a lot of work up front. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, all of a sudden we have that competitive advantage of having our own facilities. And as long as it's operated right, it works. Right. Well, obviously, I'm not going to get into any item 19 financial performance representations or I don't. Do you do an item 19 by any chance? We do. We okay. do. We have a pretty comprehensive item 19. Cool. Sure. Well, well, just for purposes of making sure we all stay out of legal trouble, I won't get into that. But on the, the challenge of your business, as you know, is that you've got to keep a facility busy. And on the youth side, the kids are in school all day. Adults may be working. So how do we keep the turnstile spinning during the day? Or is there enough volume in the evening, the weekends to make the numbers work? What, is there anything that goes on during the day? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we are, so from an economic perspective, we're, we're membership based. So wow. even on the youth leagues, it's, it's a monthly draft that the parents are paying. So if it's a three month league, they pay once per month. So the franchisees have that consistent revenue coming in from the membership draft. In addition to that, we do one-on-one -on -one private training, we do court rentals, we have merchandise sales, so we have those ancillary revenue drivers. But you know, you, you're right, uh, like any gym, evenings and weekends are the busy time. 
Um, and then during the day, you know, there's a decent amount going on. We've got full weight rooms within the facilities. So, you know, people are lifting weights. You always get kind of a noon ball crew. We have some gyms who open up very early in the morning and there's, you know, groups of professionals that come in and do, you know, officiated runs mm-hmm. uh, in the morning before work. So, you know, we figured out how to, to, to fill in those blank spaces within the, uh, the dead time, so to speak. Sure. Well, the other thing that I, I get commonly asked by people who are trying to franchise their business of when they have zero franchises, they're just getting started. It's like, how do I sell my first 10? Where, where do they come from? Where did your first dozen franchisees come from? How did you find them or how did they find you? Yeah, that's a good question. Funny enough, we're just talking to one of our consultants last night, you know, as our business has continued to grow. And she was talking about her franchise that she started and talking about, you know, the first 10, 12, Uh you're, you're, you're somewhat selling a dream. Like, Hey, here's what I've been able to create. Now we're looking for partners across the country and they're really believing in you in, in many ways as the founder and, you know, what you've built. So, you know, that's a very specific profile person, very entrepreneurial to take the leap as the first franchisees. Right. Um, so for us, you know, we, we found them through there. First of all, there was a, a pretty big pent up demand uh, from the beginning. People were asking us if they could partner with us or franchise. And yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. So at first I was like, yeah, sure. You know, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> Obviously not knowing that there's a huge process involved with it. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, we took our time to build out the infrastructure. So we had a pretty good size prospect list mm-hmm. by the time we launched the franchise program and several of our first franchise owners came from that who were familiar with our concept. Uh, and then, you know, obviously doing traditional marketing, getting the brand out there. Cause prior to that, we were only marketing to, you know, a 15 mile radius around Irwindale, California. Sure. So, you know, it, 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 people in Atlanta and, and Dallas and, you know, across the country didn't necessarily know about us. So once we started to throw it out there and change our ads to being, Hey, here's a concept, you know, now it was fresh to people. Right. Uh, so, you know, lead flow, so to speak, uh, in terms of prospective franchise owners has always been pretty strong for us. Yeah. Well, you know, that is, um, obviously uh, a tribute to what you've done that, that you've attracted people from the very beginning that had an experience with pickup USA fitness. They're saying, I, I want to be part of this. How do I, how do I open one of these? And I think that's, I'm getting that answer pretty consistently from people that are in franchise and they say, I really got my first dozen from people that were either in my network connections or people that experience the business. And it's not so much just throwing it out there to the general public. They have to kind of know who you are because there's a, a huge trust factor for somebody to want to take the risk and be the first franchisee or the first 10 franchises. Yeah, for sure. I mean, now when we're going through the discovery process, we've got a track record. We've got markets, you know, very small. We're in Montana City, Montana. We're in Shreveport, Louisiana. And then we're in very large markets, LA and Houston and Dallas. So now we've got, you know, some of the track record with it. But yeah, like you said, in, in the beginning, there's there's a trust factor that, hey, you know, it seems like you were able to do this in LA, but is this going to work for me? And you know, name the city. So of course. Uh, it's definitely a very specific profile of individual. Right. As we learn in franchising, one of the most popular, you know, lines is, well, it's different in my area, right? If I, all, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, well, it's different in my area. And the truth is it really isn't. The, the landscape, the real estate may look a little different, 
but there's still 30 million people that play basketball and I don't care where you live. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. You know, we, we lean into market nuances, but bottom line, what we offer is very simple. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, basketball is not just nationwide, but it's global. Sure. So, you know, I can go to a court in Australia or, or, China, any country right now, and we all know the rules of basketball. It's a very universal sport. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there's market nuances, but if you follow our model, it's going to work really in, in any market we've been in. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm a huge proponent of using demographic software. You have to know the psychodemographics of your your existing customer base to know where should I open uh, my next franchise locations. I. I absolutely agree with that a hundred percent. Jordan, who is your ideal franchise owner? Uh, and what are some of the traits they need to be successful? Yeah. I mean, obviously you have to check the box of having the the financials to do it. You know, we've got a very strong lending network out there. So, um, you know, we've been able to bring in people, you know, without having extraordinary amounts of capital, but, you know, bring in individuals that, you know, have some savings, have some money in a retirement plan, Um, So, you know, obviously having the financial wherewithal to do it, but really somebody that believes in what we do, uh, not just likes basketball, but likes how we're doing it. So obviously there's dozens of different things you can do in the basketball arena, but, you know, the pickup USA model for adults, pickup basketball with refs for youth, youth development leagues and private training, like, is that what you're into? And most of the time we find people are saying, wow. You know, that I was looking at doing something on my own through my research. I came across Pickup USA and this is exactly what I want to do. Yes. Uh, you have other people who, you know, they've got a different vision of it. They want to open a, you know, six, eight court facility that they rent out, do tournaments and stuff like that. And there's certainly merit to that. Um, but, you know, we find that the individuals that immediately fall in love with our concept are really good operators because, you know, it's almost if, if they created it. They had the idea for it. Uh We're just 11 years ahead. We just went through the painful learning curve. They don't have to go through that and they can just come in and execute. So we find those to be, you know, top notch operators. Are most of your franchisees, is it owner operated or manager operated? So by and large owner operated, um, you know, they're the, the work is front loaded with our franchise concept. So, you know, you, you get out there and you, you secure a facility and then there's a good three or four month period as you know after you sign that lease but before you open where you know you're working with our vendors to outfit the facility you're working with our team to help hire your team uh you're going through all the training and uh the pre pre pre-sales campaign so there's a lot of work in that intensive you know three four five month period then thereafter the way the model's set up is the franchisees just overseeing the different elements of the business and the business is pretty simple you oversee referees you oversee trainers, you oversee some sales reps, and then some facility maintenance, you know, janitor type individuals. So once it's up and running, it's really just kind of a maintenance model. Uh, so by and large, our franchisees have quote unquote day jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so they keep their day jobs and then Pickup USA is, is their business that they own and operate. Some of them, you know, completely delegate it to, you know, somebody who comes in and acts as their operator, but by and large, it's owner operated. How big are the facilities, generally speaking? That's a good question. So on the very small end, 10,000 square feet. On the largest end, over 30,000 square feet. Wow. What's the investment range? 
about a half a million to a million all in, including the franchise fee, including all build out costs, and then also including a working capital cushion as you ramp up your business those first few months. Sure. Let's talk about the business model a little bit more. I want to go back to on the kids side of things. So you start out with adult basketball, and then you at some point said, we got to open this up to kids. I want to kind of get your, get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, obviously the business took on some of my personality in the beginning of and course. I never played organized sports. Um, I wasn't familiar with AAU circuits or, or really anything like that. So naturally I built a business that, you know, I saw demand for, which was on the adult side, but then obviously people kept contacting us if we had youth programs and, you know, I started to learn about it through some of our staff members and, you know, eventually it was like, all right, well, obviously let's, let's try and tap into this market. So you know, we first rolled it out with just group basketball training. So, you know, we had courts, we had some of our referees that actually, you know, they did training on the side. So, you know, we let them sort of run with it. And then that started to grow. So it was really just, you know, going from 10 kids to 15 kids, to 20, 25, 30. And, you know, the classes were becoming more crowded. So we started to add more classes. And then, you know, eventually we transitioned to that into a full youth development league. So essentially they still get the basketball training during the week, team practices, skills clinics, uh, but now they get an actual lead game on the weekends. Uh, so 40 minute game with our referees, we keep stats. And so that's, that's the, the culmination of all the work throughout the years. Wow. And on that small and that, like the 10,000 square foot facility, how many basketball courts are we talking? So we've got two that are that size um, and both of them somehow have laid out the shape of the building laid out perfectly to where they can get two full courts in. Okay. Uh, as opposed to some clubs we have that are, you know, closer to 14, 15,000 square feet. And they're really only, you know, like a full court and a couple of half courts. So it really kind of depends on the, the, the shape of the facility and where bathrooms are and things of that nature. But by and large, our clubs are, you know, typically about two full courts, maybe an extra half court or two for, you know, shooting practice and then fitness rooms that are, 2,000, 2,500 square feet. Okay. And like, typically where would I have one of these facilities? Would it be like a light industrial area or more retail? What, tell me where they generally are. Both. So if you asked me that question, you know, three or four years ago, I'd tell you, you know, this is, this is pure light industrial play, but you know, as the dynamics in the real estate market have shifted and, you know, industrial demand for that has gone up while on the retail side, it's gone down. We've found we're signing leases more and more frequently on the retail side. So, you know, our biggest focus is unit level economics. We want to make sure the franchise owners set up for long-term success. So, you know, if they come in and they find a retail spot, but you know, it's price prohibitive, then, you know, we'll coach them through that, that that's not going to, that's not going to pay the bills ultimately. But, you know, the short answer to the question is it's both. We have clubs that are in light industrial areas and then we have clubs that are, you know, in, in very much, a style retail shops. Right. Yeah. I would imagine more and more retail centers are going to have availability for basketball facilities and pickleball facilities. And we're going to see a lot more on the recreation side where, you know, with these big box retailers where that just don't exist anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about franchising a bit more. And since you've been at it, you know, for let's see, six, seven years now, what's been one of your biggest surprises? as a franchisor? Yeah. I mean, a lot, it's a learning curve, like, like anything else. So, you know, I think for us just learning how to, how to add 
value to to franchise owners. You know, obviously we're shepherds of the brand. Mm -hmm. We have to ensure that the brand is well represented at each customer touch point, you know, online and in person. So the question is really kind of, you know, how we do that. So what we always come back to as we revise things is support, more and more support for franchise owners. So you know, that's support in the very beginning as they're getting the financing together. And then as they go through site selection, as they go through their build out and hiring their staff and their training and their pre-sales, just being by their side. So, you know, that's been a huge point of emphasis for us all year is just more touch points with franchise owners. So I spend a good amount of time traveling around, shaking hands, talking to customers, talking to franchise owners. I want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. Tell me why you're mad at the franchise or what are we not doing? And then I can get back and, you know, get in the lab and, you know, with the team, fix it. And then we've got a team that travels the country as well. So we just want to be, you know, by their side, obviously our franchise concept is spread across the country. Uh So, you know, that presents geographic considerations for us in terms of our, our support, but yeah, by and large, I think that's the big, been the biggest evolution for us is really just, figuring out how we can add value to franchise owners and help them in the day-to-day of being a business owner. Sure. Well, when I launched my franchise concept, I too went nationwide, you know, shotgun approach right away. I look back on it 20 years later, I don't think I would have done it the same way because being in Florida and opening locations in Hawaii and California and Washington state within a short time support. That was a challenge. Um, if you do it all over again, or would you recommend a franchise or go shotgun? Cause I mean, you got 23 locations in 12 States. So if you do it all over again, would you do it the same way you think? I, you know, I think I probably would ideally it would grow in concentric circles and gradually spread out. But I think, you know, we would have also lost opportunity yeah. uh, with, with franchise owners, you know, who the, the timing wouldn't be right if we waited three or four years to expand into, you know, Texas or Florida or whatever. So, you know, there were certainly some growing pains with us and it presented logistical challenges for us as we're, you know, booking flights constantly. But, you know, I think looking back on it, um, it was the right move. And, you know, many of our original franchise owners are, are some of our top performing units. Um, so, you know, they, they, Bared it out with us as we figured things out, you know, all in. I, I don't have any regrets about it. That's awesome. Well, for for me, speed to market was key because we were going to be the first franchise or doing youth sports leagues. And I always was looking over my shoulder, feeling like there was somebody going to be doing it next. I just, sure. I, I didn't know how long the runway was going to be, but I kind of looked over my shoulder thinking there's going to be somebody, maybe give me a year. I was actually surprised at the amount of time that I got before somebody did compete with me. And to that point, yes, I'm glad that I did go shotgun approach uh, because it, it allowed me to really have explosive growth, but it did come with a lot of headaches too. It's, there's no question about it. For sure. <laughs> I always say, you know, do as I say, not as I did. You know, that's, there's, I, I've learned, we obviously learn through our mistakes, not through our successes. And God knows I had enough of them. <laughs> well, that, that's what we tell franchise owners too. Like, don't get in this franchise to follow my journey because that was a nightmare. <laughs> in this franchise because, you know, I've learned right, so right. that, you know, you don't have right. to. Exactly. What's maybe something recent that, you know, you're saying you go around the country talking to franchise owners. Tell me something uh, more recent where you heard something, whether it was from franchisees or hearing from customers and then went back to the office and said, guys, we need to fix this. And tell me something that happened. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of things. We've got a running queue of of our initiatives, and you know, obviously, we we try and prioritize those. But one of the uh, the big um, pieces of feedback from franchisees was with our uh, our game queue called the KCQ, which organizes all the teams. So what we were hearing is that there were just not glitches, but just things that made the system not super user friendly. Something as simple as an undo button. So basically, like, you know, you're entering members in the queue, it's popping up on the TVs throughout the facility, but there was no undo button. So if they entered a member wrong, it would put in the wrong member and they'd have to wipe out the whole queue. So something, you know, this thing's been around for a couple of years and that right. that that should have been done. Mm-hmm. But being out there with the franchisees and then we have the conversations with them, like, why didn't you tell us? Like, this, sure. is, this is a problem. And, you know, they're always very respectful, like, well, we you know, you got a lot going on. It's like, no, please. Like these are, these are big issues that we want to hear about. So, I mean, that's just one example, but that paints the picture of things that we see when we're boots on the ground, yes. you know, seeing yeah. the, the challenges that they're going through, but also the things they're doing right. So there's a lot of times where we'll be at a location, like, wow, you know, look at, look at what you're doing with your, your private training, or look at how this coach is running one of the skills camps. So then we can take that back and, you know, further develop it and then implement it throughout the system. Jordan, I, I agree with you hundred percent. We learned so much from our franchisees, but it was, it was always when we had boots on the ground, like you're saying, when we were there one time I traveled to Atlanta and I was talking with a franchisee about why he did certain things. And he goes, I don't know. I just, I do it that way. And I'm like, no, there's brilliance in that. I, but there was brilliance in the way that he set up one of his T-ball fields and it was, he almost did it like just out of logistics. Like, well, I did it this way because of the way the fields were laid out. And I'm like, no, you have no idea. This was amazing. But I would have never known by talking to him on the phone or, you know, at a national meeting, there's just something about being there because we get to observe it. And sometimes you need an outsider to see, to look in as opposed to, we can't see ourselves swing, right? That's why we all need, we need coaches or we need somebody that's going to provide the advice that, that we just can't do ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just that human connection and the relationships that are built in person, even if it's a a quick one day visit, we find a ton of value in it. The wheels are always turning on both sides. So we'll give franchisees some feedback. So I'm like, Hey, here's what we saw on a visit. Why don't you implement this? And, you know, we get a consistent feedback of, you know, thank you so much for coming. We've done this, this, and this since you came and here's the results. And same thing for us on our end, you know, I'm always on my flights back home, just mind running as to, okay, that's what I just saw. Let's get in the lab and, and improve this. So sure. that's a critical part of, of what we do. Yeah. Well, being a franchise owner or, or business owner of any type, it can be very, very lonely at times. And by having that franchise or relationship where you're going and spending time with them, uh, it is so valuable, that goodwill. We used to talk about that in the office about how important it was to get out there and we could tell when too much time had gone by. You can kind of start to feel maybe a little like unnecessary friction or there just wasn't that, that connection. And just by going there and spending time and hearing what they're saying, letting them you know air out what they're experiencing because at the end of the day, they don't have anybody to turn to. We, we are it. And it's our job, obviously, to make them profitable, but it's more than that. We have this connection with them. We want them to be super successful, but we want them to be fulfilled. 
your business is extremely mission-based too. Yeah. I mean, you use the word lonely. I use that term all the time because, you know, starting a business is, it, it, it can feel extremely lonely no matter what. So, you know, that's one of the things we tell franchise owners is, you know, that's the benefit of being within a system is you've got the franchisor, but you also have franchisees across the country that are, you know, fighting the same daily battles you are that you can turn to. So often we see our job as just a connector. So, you know, if they're challenged with something, it's like, you know what? Our Houston club was also facing that same challenge. So, you know, let's make that introduction so that they can, you know, learn from one another. We find that franchise owners really, you know, relish that kind of taking on the mentor role. And, you know, as they get mentored, then they can mentor other people on the yes. back end. So, you know, the loneliness side of it is is certainly a piece of it. But, you know, I think that's one of the huge benefits of a franchise system. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jordan, what's your vision for the company? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm as confident as ever in our operating model. So the menu that we offer, the services that we model, how we do it. So I would say, I mean, we're going to continue to enhance the prototype and, you know, we're always working on things, but by and large, you know, we feel that the the business model is fully baked mm -hmm. and now it's, it's, it's just scaling it. So we've always taken a very deliberate approach to opening locations and awarding territories and we'll continue to do that. But we've staffed up over here on the corporate side um, and, you know, really feel like we're ready to, to get many of these open. Uh, we're starting to open, you know, multiple units within markets and, you know, learning how to benefit all franchise owners within that market to have a joint league programs and city level tournaments and things of that nature. So, you know, really it's just taking this business model that we've developed over the last 11 years and what we've learned as a franchisor and then just putting pens in the map essentially. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on multiple sports? Are you guys committed to strictly basketball or are you guys thinking about adding additional sports? I wouldn't rule it out. You know, I know there's nothing I'd really rule out. If it makes economic sense and it makes sense for the brand, then, you know, we're always open to it, but you know, we're, we're believers that specialization wins plenty of multi multi-sport facilities out there and certainly a, a segment of the market that that's good for mm -hmm. um, for us we see almost limitless growth opportunities within the stores and you know opening more units with just basketball so i wouldn't rule it out but i would say certainly in the the near to medium term what we've got with exclusively basketball that's what Sure. Well, you know who you are and there are, there are plenty of customers to go around in just basketball. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What about, um, what's the mix between adults versus youth? Yeah. Good question. That's actually something we report in our, our, so our item 19 is very detailed, but that's one of the metrics and it's pretty much 50, 50, obviously really? it's going to vary per club. But if you look nationwide, uh, it's about half youth and half adults. Now the revenue mix uh, skews much more heavily on the youth side because adults are typically paying 40 to, you know, say $60 per month for our adult services. And very few of the adults, not very few, but, you know, probably 20% of our private training customers are adults. So adults are playing a lower membership and not doing a ton of private training. The youth, the memberships are 100 to 150 per month. And then, you know, 80% of our private training one-on-one -on -one sales is with the youth. So if you just count the amount of customers that we have, it's 50-50 split, but revenue skews much higher on the youth side. Well, first of all, as a parent, <laughs> we will always spend more money on our kids than we ever will ourselves, right? 
And besides that, just being being around in the youth sports industry for as long as I have, I noticed that sometimes parents think that their kids are better than they really are. And so, or they want them to be obviously much better. So they're willing to put the money behind training them. Yeah. I mean, that, that, there's so much truth into that. We try and lean into what customers are used to, you know, an adult um, is, you know, used to a 40, $50 a month gym membership. So, you know, we're not going to try and swim against the current. Let's, let's lean into that. Parents are used to spending, you know, well over a hundred dollars a month, regardless of what it is, you know, piano lessons or swim lessons or karate. So, you know, we really find that it's just a natural price point. Like you say, parents are willing to invest in their kids and, you know, we've leaned into that. It's been very successful. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's also, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that when the next recession hits, whenever that may be, I mean, it's inevitable, right? There'll be an economic downturn. I, I think your business can be recession resistant. At least that's what we found participation did not go down at all in 2008, 2009, 2010. We had a hell of a time trying to sell a franchise back then, but for our franchise, uh, unit economics were fantastic through the recession. We didn't see a blip on the radar. Going back to the whole thing, parents want to make sure their kids are well taken care of. So, you know, art, music, sports, they're going to continue to give their kids what they need. Yeah, for, I mean, there's substantial empirical evidence to suggest that, you know, that that's the last thing that a parent's going to cut back on. Uh, is you know the 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 youth programming and it's I mean if you look at big picture of somebody's annual budget what they're spending on youth sports you know it's pretty small sure so you know I, I totally agree it's it's certainly a recession resistant uh, industry mm-hmm. what advice would you give to somebody that's considering joining your brand and and opening up a facility I think just just making sure that you know you're prepared for this for this journey. Um, you know, just because you like basketball and you see a demand for it, which almost everybody does, you know, they're driving their kid around to all of their travel ball teams and they just see how much demand there is. So that's one thing, but, you know, actually being a business owner, you know, there's, there's work involved with that. So, you know, one thing we tell franchise owners is, you know, you're going to have to put in a lot of work, but there's no guesswork here. Mm-hmm. We've got the formula. We've got the operating model. We've got all the checklists. So you don't have to wonder how to do it. You just got to be willing to come in and put in the work. So, you know, we're very clear with franchise owners about that upfront. And, you know, by and large, we're dealing with people who have been successful in their careers uh, to, to varying degrees. So, They've been promoted and they're managing teams. They've got, you know, a 401k built up and they're ready for the next challenge. Mm-hmm. So we just tell them like, look, you obviously love this concept. If you're willing to put in the work, this can be a beautiful partnership. That's good advice. What about, you mentioned earlier that you have a number of mentors and consultants you've worked with. What's maybe a memorable piece of advice that you received that influenced, you know, your decisions? Yeah. I mean, I'm probably, you know, typical, somebody started a business thought uh, like, Oh, well, whatever. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And then it takes me three or four years to be like, Oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> uh, but I mean, something I heard very early on is, um, you know, it's going to take longer than you think, and it's going to cost more than you think. Uh-huh. So that certainly was the case for me, you know, as I planned this out, it's like, Oh, we're going to be, you know, global domination pretty quick. And obviously it took me years before we even started to scale this. So that's the side of it. I, I also used to hear, you know, if you decide to start a business, be prepared for everybody to tell you why it's not going to work. So essentially naysaying. And that I think for, for the, the, the true entrepreneurs out there, 
that's what drives you where it's like you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to open up this business or this franchise. Oh, why would you do that? Uh, and then you're like, well, let me prove you wrong. So, you know, I think some of those things, as I heard that advice before starting a business, you know, those are certainly things that have come true and, you know, have helped fuel me all along. Jordan, I could do a couple of hours on just that one concept. I, that, that fuel really, really helps us for sure. But it's more than that, right? It's, it's, yes, it gives us, it ignites our passion, ignites our hunger, but being resilient is another thing right? Because it's that, that fuel, that initial fuel that we get by people doubting us and naysaying us is, is all fine and dandy. But when you're in the grind of the business, you have to really still believe in yourself. You believe in your concept and be willing to make whatever changes are needed. At that point, you're not thinking about the doubters and naysayers. You're just thinking about staying alive and growing your business. Yeah, well said for sure. I mean, you could, there's going to be dark times. Every entrepreneur goes through moments of crisis. Yes. So yeah, the belief and and really the doubters and the naysayers, you're putting blinders onto that and just saying, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in myself. And you know, ultimately when you zoom out, when you're in those moments of crisis, it feels like the end of the world. But when you zoom out, you realize, okay, that was just, you know, another hurdle uh, to overcome as Absolutely. you grow an enterprise. Yeah. And one more thing about the doubters and naysayers. Look, if you're listening to this and I experienced this and maybe you did too, if the naysayer or doubter is your friends or family, it's really because they love you and don't want you to fail. And here's the thing. They don't see what you see, right? They don't see the vision that you see and they don't see it for themselves. If our family member can't see themselves actually succeeding in it, that's when they tell you, I don't think you should do this is a terrible idea. Yeah, well said. You know, I don't think, uh, you know, it's malicious in nature. And honestly, I think they're probably the more logical people in the room because they're sure. thinking, wait a second, you got a good day job. Like, why would you go and do this? Right. So, you know, but to, to those who take risks, you know, great reward comes as well. So you're right. They, they're, they're thinking almost in a logical fashion of like, okay, that doesn't make a ton of sense, but. Absolutely. And that, and that is, that is totally fine. We, we need those people in our lives. And at the same time, the world needs people like us that are willing to take a chance Make the, makes the world go around. Well, Jordan, if someone was interested in learning more about Pickup USA Fitness, how can they get info? So a great place to start would be the website, pickupusafitness.com. So you can go to the website, get some general info, watch some videos. Um, and then from the website, you can download an e-brochure. It'll give you a 20-page high-level brochure. Uh, should answer most of the initial questions about what this is, how much it costs, you know, the support that we offer. Uh, and then from there, if you fill out a more comprehensive form, it's called a franchising form, takes about 10, 15 minutes, then you'll get a more comprehensive info packet that really starts to dive into, you know, facility requirements, the economics of it. So that's, you know, the, the automated systems we have in place, but we also have a franchising team of three individuals, uh, Brianna, Grace, and Gary, uh, and a comprehensive discovery process, because we want to make sure that we put all the information out up front to help individuals decide, you know, is this a good fit? Is it a good economic fit? Is it a good fit for the goals of you and your family? Uh, so once we, you know, put that out and take people through the discovery process, if there's a handshake at the end, we, uh, we make it happen. Well, Jordan, I always finish with the tip jar because the franchise community is just so generous with information. You've been generous. You've given such great advice along the way here on best practices, but is there one more piece of advice you can offer to an entrepreneur that's thinking about franchising their concept? What would you tell them? 
Yeah. I mean, I think obviously buckle up. It's going to be a journey. You're going to learn a ton. I would say, you know, don't be, don't get, do what you did when you founded your business, right? Because when you founded your business before you franchised it, it was likely some fire, fire aim and you mm-hmm. dove into it and you learned a ton and it's going to be the same with franchising. So, you know, get out there, establish your franchise program, make sure that you've got support, support, support in place off the jump and just go into it with the mindset that you're going to learn a ton. You're going to learn a ton from those first franchise owners. You're going to learn a ton from your hundredth franchise owner. And you know, as we were talking about before, those first franchise owners, they're going to be excited about that ride. They're going to join you. They're, they know that you don't have a hundred units. They're going to join you to be a part of you know, the, the ground up of the franchise program. So really lean into those relationships and those you know initial franchise owners and learn. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure to meet you. Likewise, Frank. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumi, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.